Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 18. This is the word of the Lord. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had, everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the, the loan. That servant went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe. At this, his fellow, servants, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Thanks, Michael. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Whoa, that bad? Man, you guys remember. I'm uh, interactive. My name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, We're going to be talking about forgiveness today if you haven't caught on to it yet. But I'm going to tell you a story about um, at the height of COVID, March of 2020, um, my youngest son, uh, who was 17 at the time, um, started complaining about back pains and so forth. I won't go into all of the details. Long story short, he ended up at Children's Hospital with pneumonia, and we were there for... um, about 12 or 13 days. Now, if you've ever seen my youngest son, he's 6'5 and about 250 pounds. So that's always fun at Children's Hospital where they don't have gowns or beds that big. The point of the story, though, is this. The end of that 12 days um, I was holding after insurance payouts uh, $112,000 worth of medical bills. That's a lot of money. And I didn't know how I was going to pay it, but we, you know, we'll figure it out. We'll talk to them. They have some great folks there that can help you with all the plans and stuff. If you've ever experienced Children's Hospital, you know that they are very uh, gracious with those kinds of things. Um, But very similar to uh, Aaron's story there, not long after we got him home from the hospital, uh, I received a phone call from Uh, Seattle Children's, and they said, uh, hey, everything's taken care of. Don't worry about anything at all. 
And you want to talk about a great relief uh, off of your shoulders is to know that something that is seemingly unpayable or I don't know how I'm going to pay this or I don't know how I'm going to take care of this is taken off of your shoulders and you don't have to worry about those things anymore. It's a great relief. So today I'm going to tell you what we're going to do uh, and then we'll dive right in. So I'm going to talk to you about some details of this parable uh, that was just read for us. Then we're going to zoom out a little bit and compare and contrast our culture and the kingdom of heaven And then finally, we're going to laser focus in on forgiveness. Does that sound like a plan for everybody? Come on, man, you guys. Thanks. You got to get pumped, man. You got to get jazzed. You'll catch on. Well, let me calm you down now for a minute. As I like to do... Let's really focus in on being right here in this moment together with God's word and in his presence. Can we do that? So I'm going to invite you to put both feet flat on the floor. Not worry about all of the things of the day and all of the stuff. We're going to take a few moments here to just sit in silence in the presence of God. Take a few deep breaths. Father, as we open your word and begin to study it, Lord, we just pray that you would quiet our hearts and our minds. Help us to focus on you. Teach us this morning from your word. Speak to our hearts. Convict us. Change us. Draw us closer to you. Make us more like you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's talk a little bit about this um, uh, parable. It's the one where a guy is not very forgiving. And so in this parable, as we read, there's a king, and this king has a servant, and this servant owes 10,000 talents. How many of you know how much money 10,000 talents are? I don't know either, but (laughs) here's what I read in a commentary If an average day's wage, by the way, is a denarii, in case you weren't aware of that, on an average worker, it would take him 20 years to earn one talent. So as you can see, 10,000 talents is an unrepayable debt. So Jesus, as he often does and has been pointed out several times as we studied the parables, speaks in hyperbole. And in this example, he gives us an example of an amount of money that is unobtainable by any normal standards. It also makes the statement by the servant to the king even more ridiculous when you think about it. So the king says, hey, you owe me 10,000 talents. I ought to throw, uh, sell everything that you own and throw all of your people into prison until you have the ability to pay it back. And the servant says, yeah, be patient with me. I'll pay it back. There's no way he can pay it back. 
The king knows there's no way he can pay it back. So the king looks at this guy and he says, well, I'm going to forgive the debt. You don't owe the debt anymore. And off this guy goes. Now, here's the interesting thing about this fellow. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Some people may read this and say, this guy was greedy because the first thing he does is he goes and he finds somebody that owes him money and uh, it literally chokes him out to try to get the cash. Now, many would say he's just being greedy. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and I'm going to say that in his mind and maybe even in his heart, he still felt that he needed to pay back that king, and so he was going to try and do everything he possibly could to pay that money back. So he went and he found the first guy that owes him money. Now, and as you can see, this guy owes him a uh, hundred denarii. Now, if we understand that a, a denarii is a day's wage, then you know that a hundred denarii is actually an obtainable amount of money, right? It's reasonable that this other servant could have gotten that money and paid it back to him. Uh, but this guy was cruel and he threw him in prison uh, until he could pay it back. I never understood how you could pay money back once you're in prison. But maybe somebody knows how that works. So here we have this servant who was forgiven a whole bunch. And he is unforgiving of this servant that doesn't owe him as much. And so the, the analogy here that Jesus is making is very simple for us to see if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, as Jesus points out. We had an unpayable debt, a debt that we could not pay. There was no possible way for us to pay it. But he paid that debt for us. And because he says many times throughout scripture, because we have been forgiven much, then much is required of us in the fact that we should turn around and give that forgiveness to others. So here's our big idea for the day. The big idea for the day is this. Jesus liberates us from an unrepayable debt. So then we should liberate others. One of the great things about this is that it's not in my power to forgive your sins, right? That's Jesus, that's God, he does that. But it is in my power to forgive you of things that you've done against me and liberate you to be able to follow and to listen to Christ. Does that make sense? That's what he's done for us. We have this great, great gift that's been given to us, which is our salvation, this forgiveness of sins, and we can turn around and we can liberate others with this idea. So when Jesus speaks of his kingdom not being of this world, we understand this a little bit, is that the kingdom is already but not yet. Have you ever heard that phrase? So if the kingdom is already and not yet, and all of these parables that we've been talking about, are the sermon series is titled Stories of the Kingdom. So as we're understanding this, is that all of these elements that we've been talking about up to this point, and including this one and the ones that are to come, are about how the kingdom functions and works. And so if you miss these elements of the kingdom that we've been teaching that come straight from Jesus' own mouth, 
you're missing how the kingdom functions and works. And when you read things where it says, we're not of this world, Jesus says, you're in the world, but you're not of this world. Those are the kinds of things he's talking about. We have to be different as followers of Christ than everybody else is in the world. And a lot of times we get thinking about um, physical aspects of that. Oh, I've got to dress different. I got to act different. I got to talk different. I got to think different. I got all these things. All of that is true, but it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. And I'm going to show you. So here's some things about the kingdom of heaven as contrasted with our culture. Now, fasten your seatbelts a little bit. Because some of this stuff I'm going to say and you're going to go, yeah, that's right. And some of this stuff you're going to say, ooh, ooh, watch out. Don't say that about me. Right? So here we go. Some comparing and contrasting our culture and the kingdom of heaven. Here's the first one. Our culture perverts the truth. The kingdom culture speaks the truth. Now these come right out of the the Sermon on the Mount. Everything that I'm going to compare and contrast comes right out of the Sermon on the Mount. Now here's the interesting thing about truth. In our culture today, the perversion of truth goes all the way back to the late 1800s and maybe even further back than that where we start talking about relativism. Anybody ever heard of relativism? Here's how relativism sounds in today's culture. Uh, That may work for you, but not for me. That's your truth. You speak your truth. Right now, we've all heard those things. We can take those things and we can say, oh, well, that's whatever. But the reality of it is, is that if truth is truth, then there is an absolute truth and you can't just make up your own truth. There is the truth. Anybody know what the truth is? Not a trick question. Jesus, that's right. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way I am the truth. Jesus is the truth. And so our culture perverts the truth. It changes it. We'll just take a word, change the definition of it, and then now we've got something else, right? And everybody in the room's like, yeah, those millennials and the Gen Zs and their changing definitions. Uh, Yeah, you boomers and us Xers, we change definitions too, right? I know when I was growing up, if it was bad... It was good. Yeah. How many of you said that? Ooh, that's bad, man. Look at that bike you got. Is that a mongoose? There's like four people in the room that just went, yes, my mongoose. Everybody else went, what is he talking about? Yeah. Our culture perverts the truth. What I'm trying to tell you and what I'm trying to show you is is that sometimes we do too. Sometimes we do too. But the kingdom culture and what Christ is calling us to is to speak the truth. Now some of you just heard me say speak the truth and you're going to go home and make a big sign and stand on a street corner and yell at people. Wrong. Speaking the truth is when you're having that conversation with your coworker or whoever it is that you're having that conversation with and they make some kind of random crazy statement and you can say, well, you know, 
I believe this, and this is what scripture teaches, and it's about speaking the truth in love. It's not about standing on a street corner and yelling. Secondly, our culture is materialistic, and the kingdom of heaven is all about giving generously. This is a radical departure between the two. If you don't think that our culture is materialistic, uh, I, I don't know, I don't even know what to say about that. I was gonna say wake up, but it, it, I don't even know. If you can't figure out the fact that we are solely, totally focused on stuff and things, always stuff and things, the next best thing. As a matter of fact, we took all of the ideology of, speaking of generations, we took all the ideology of the boomer generation and learned how to commodify it and turned it into marketable uh, products. It's all we do is create stuff and things, more stuff. If you buy this thing, you'll be better off. If you buy this thing, you'll be better off. If you buy this, you'll be smarter, you'll be prettier, you'll be skinnier, you'll be all the things. And that skinnier thing, it doesn't work. I bought them all. Every one of them, it does not work. But that's the world we live in. It's materialistically focused and driven. But the kingdom of heaven is all about giving generously. Giving generously. There's all kinds of great, um, and there's parables that we'll be talking about later about, about giving and how the, that whole function works and all of those things. And we talk about generosity here every week. And God has blessed us as a people in this church, but also as a nation above and beyond more than we could possibly do. We have an embarrassment of riches. And God gave us all of those things, not so that we could buy more stuff, right? He gave us those things so that we could give generously to others. Third thing, our culture is self-focused. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus teaches that we should go the extra mile. I love that story. This is from the the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about going the extra mile if you're compelled to carry the soldier's backpack that you go the mile, but then take it one more also. And so we really don't understand that in our culture and in our time frame, but in that first century, uh, a Roman uh, soldier could hand his rucksack, if you will, uh, to any citizen, uh, well, any of these Jewish folks and compel them to carry it a mile. Now, what they had done is they had put mile markers all the way down the roads, all over the place, and the, the, these folks would carry that bag because they were required to, but when they got to that mile marker, they would literally just throw it on the ground and then turn around and walk and go away because they did exactly what they were compelled to do. Jesus, in this illustration in the Sermon on the Mount, says, don't do that. Go the extra mile. Why do we go the extra mile? Because the kingdom of heaven is not about me. The kingdom of heaven is about all of us, mostly him. Do you follow me? And so it's not about me and what I can get. It's about how I can serve others. Fourth thing. Our culture is love only the lovable. The kingdom of heaven is to love everyone. And by everyone... In the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he specifically says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do you guys know anybody that's unlovable? Don't lie. You do, yeah. Most of you, if you just looked right in the mirror, you would find them. Ooh, did that hurt a little bit? 
I'm sorry, I didn't mean to sting it. Yeah, love. most of us want to love the lovable. Jesus said it's easy to love somebody that loves us back. That's easy. But it's not easy to love somebody that's not lovable, that's not kind, that's not friendly, that's not any of those things. And it's really super hard to love somebody that does not like you. That's tough. That's the kingdom of heaven. We got to love all of those folks. Next, our culture is you do you, fam. I said it. The kingdom of heaven is have a clean heart. Here's what I mean by that. You do you, fam, is, uh, I mean, that's silliness. But the reality of it is, is that that's what folks do. I'm not going to change myself. I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it, how I want to do it. In other words, it is that old sin nature where Adam and Eve said, no, God, you don't get to define good and evil. We get to define good and evil. And our culture is in a place where they're saying the exact same thing. No, God, you don't get to define good and evil. We define good and evil. Paul wrote and told Timothy, he said, there's going to be a time where people turn that which is good, evil, evil, good, good, evil. They're going to flip it around. Do you see what I mean? That's the culture we live in today. The kingdom culture, God is calling us to have a clean heart. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you have hate in your heart for your brother, you're a murderer. If you have lust in your heart for uh, another person, then you have committed adultery. He's calling us to live differently in our hearts than than the rest of the world does. Another cultural expression is trust only number one. That's me. I can trust only myself. But the kingdom of heaven calls us to trust only God. You see, there's a lot of things that happen in our lives that we don't understand. You know, one of the most common problems that people have with God is that they don't understand why something has happened in their life. Why has this tragedy taken place? Why has this happened? Why has that happened? Why has this good stuff happened to me? I don't deserve it. I don't understand all of these things. I'd love to be able to tell you, okay, here's eight reasons why the thing that happened to you happened to you. But the reality of it is, is I I don't know. And anybody that says that they do know, they're wrong. But God knows. And what we have to do in a kingdom culture is we have to trust God. And most of us in our culture today, even in this very room, will, uh, if you look at it closely enough, you realize that you really only trust yourself and you don't trust God. You say, Steve, that's not true. I'm gonna show you how it is true. Something happens in your life. I don't care how big it is. Something super minor, something big and major. Most of us, 99.9% of us, the very first thought we have is, how can I solve this? How can I fix this? How can I change this? What do I need to do? When our very first thought should be, God, I don't know what you're doing here, but I'm going to trust you to show me if there is anything that I need to do, what I need to do. 
Do you see the difference? Most of us don't trust God. We only trust ourselves. And finally, this is the last thing that's wrong with our culture. Not an exhaustive list, gang. Not an exhaustive list. In our culture today, we have a cancel culture. But the kingdom of God, we are to forgive excessively. Now, here's the difference. And I really want you to hear this and understand it. This cancer culture business is absolute poison and comes straight from the pits of hell. Now, I'm not defending anybody that did anything wrong, historically or currently. What I'm saying is is that a a cancel culture removes forgiveness and restoration from the equation. You do something wrong, you are immediately removed from the culture. We're not going to have anything to do with you at all. You are not going to be seen or heard from again. And we can point to a bunch of folks, and I could have a list, just a a caveat of of pictures of people, famous people, uh, that you would remember that have been canceled just in the past three or four years that you've never seen on television or in media print at all just because they were canceled because of something that they had done. Now, I'm not saying that any one of those people is good or that they're great or that they're Christians or any of those things, but I'm telling you that our culture said that is unforgivable and we are removing you from the, from the equation. That is not what the kingdom of God is about. That is not what the kingdom of heaven is about. As a matter of fact, we are all sitting in this room today because in some way, shape, form, or fashion, whether you are a follower of Christ or whether you are somebody that is searching to understand Christianity, you know that you need forgiveness, that you deserve to be canceled, but by the grace of God, he says, I'm not canceling you. I'm forgiving you, and not only am I not removing you from the equation, I'm bringing you right into the center of the equation so that you can take this forgiveness that I've given you and you can give it to other people. This is what we're talking about. Now, as a person living in the kingdom of God, I have to be different. I can't be a part of the cancel culture. Now, this is where it's about to, where the rubber's about to meet the road. This is where some of you are going to get some of the, uh, what, the old amen, oh me moment. Is because when we start talking about forgiveness and we laser focus in on it, some of you are going to realize that you have canceled people when you should have forgiven them. So let's talk more about Forgiveness. First thing I want you to see, and this is expressed here in this parable, is that forgiveness is not always predicated by repentance. I like the word predicated. I paid a lot of money for that word. (laughs) Forgiveness is not always predicated by repentance. What does that mean, Steve? Here's what that means. Some of you are holding on to grudges and bitterness, cold-hearted 
anger, resentment towards another human being and you are waiting for them to, number one, realize that they have harmed you in some way and then come groveling to you, begging you for your forgiveness so that you can grace them with the forgiveness. I want you to notice in this parable that this king is looking through his books and he says, oh, there's a guy that owes me 10,000 talents. Let's bring him in. And he brings the guy in and the guy says his piece and then the king's like, this is never gonna go anywhere. I'm never gonna get this money back. This guy can't pay this back. I'm not gonna worry about that. And so then he said, does this guy say, oh, forgive me? He says, no, have mercy on me. Don't throw me in jail. I'll pay every penny back. The king says, you can't do that. You're forgiven. Get out of here. Now, here's the thing about being predicated and how this functions with you. Some of you are holding on to grudges and the ability for that person to come and ask for forgiveness, for repentance, is impossible. Some of them, it's impractical. And some of it, it's never going to happen. And you can go through your imaginations or through your own, um, to date myself again, your own Rolodex of bitterness in your own heart and mind, and you can realize Oh, that person, that person, that person, that person. The thing about bitterness and all of that, someone once said, it's like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. Do you understand it? Do you see it? That person is running around in the world doing their own thing, living their best life and have no idea that they have wronged you in any way, shape, form, or fashion. They are never coming to you and they are never going to apologize and they are never going to seek repentance. If you're holding bitterness in your heart, you're drinking the poison. They have no idea. So forgiveness is not always predicated by repentance. Sometimes you're just going to have to forgive somebody and move forward. Secondly, we will only give forgiven, we will only uh, give forgiveness or we will only be given, that's a whole lot of stuff, when we understand its values. Forgiveness will only be given once we understand its value. We're not going to give forgiveness to somebody else until we understand the value of forgiveness. Now, here's the key, and it's been said more than once today, and I'm going to give you so that you can understand the value of the forgiveness that you've been given. You see, Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us, right? And he lived this perfect life, which you have not done. And as a matter of fact, because of your sin nature and because of the sins that you have committed, what you deserve and what you owe is for you to be hung on that cross and for you to pay the penalty of your sin. As a matter of fact, the scriptures tells us that the penalty of our sin or the the amount that we owe is death, eternal death. That's what we owe. We can't pay it. 
Every one of us would have to pay every single bit of that. There's no way that we can pay that debt back. But the God of the universe that created everything that there is decided of his own free will, not predicated by our repentance, because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible tells us that as he hung on that cross that he became sin for us. And until we understand the value of what has been given to us, we won't give it to anybody else. But let me say this in another way to you, is that once you understand the value of what has been given to you, you can't help but give it to other people. You can't help but share that with other folks. Last thing about forgiveness, he said with three more points after that. It's got to come from the heart. It's got to come from the heart. You could intellectually forgive somebody. You know what that's called? That's called forgetting. There's a difference between forgiving and forgetting. Forgetting comes from our heart. I mean, forgiveness comes from our heart. Forgetting comes from our mind. In order to truly forgive, there has to be a heart change toward that person. I want you to understand that, and realize and understand this, that this is the work of the Holy Spirit, not you. You see, I don't have forgiveness to give. You see, I'm a man of sin. So are you. We don't have forgiveness to give. But God forgave us. And when we have that bitterness in our heart, what we have to do is we have to say, I don't have that forgiveness to give this person because my, uh, my intellectual mind and my heart and my, are too pained by this situation. So I've got to start talking to God because he's the only one that has forgiveness that goes beyond the common sense or the normal thinking of man. It's got to come from the heart. Jesus said in the very last statement in this parable, so also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister, where? From the heart. It's got to come from right here in the center. All right, so here's some life lessons from this parable. You can call this application if you want however you want to look at it. Lessons from this parable. Here's what you can learn. The first thing is this. Once you've been forgiven, you can no longer pay it back. Remember the servant I told you I was going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he wasn't greedy, that he was actually going to get that money so that he could turn around and pay that back? Did you know that most of us in our Christian walk, uh, it's very easy for us or needful for us in some way, shape, form, or fashion to feel like we're doing something to earn what God has given us? Let me tell you, you can never, ever pay it back. Stop trying. Stop trying. You're never going to be able to pay it back. 
That forgiveness is too much. It's too big. You're never going to be able to pay it back. And he doesn't want you to. What he wants you to do is he wants you to take that forgiveness and he wants you to give it elsewhere. So not only are you uh, no longer going to have to pay it back, but once you're forgiven, you are expected to pay it forward. Take that forgiveness, that gift that you've been given, and give it to other people. Share that gospel message with other people. So once you're forgiven, you're expected to pay it forward. If you read it in a parable, as you remember, um, this king, once he hears that this servant has not paid that forgiveness forward, this king brings that servant back and went, what in the world, dude? I gave you the biggest gift ever. You can't give this small little gift to somebody else. What's your problem? And then he throws that guy in prison. Now, here's the other lesson that I want you to learn. I know some of you are, are worried about this. Because it might seem that what the scripture is teaching here is that if we don't forgive others, that God is gonna turn around and not forgive us. And I want you to understand that that's not the case. Here's what's being said. The consequences of living an unforgiving lifestyle or forgiving, uh, or living in unforgiveness are too high to pay. The cost is too high to pay. Now, I want to remind you, and I'm going to close here with this, but I really want you to remind you of this, is that Jesus is calling us to, to live a lifestyle, if you will, of forgiveness. If we're truly going to live in the kingdom as he's asking us to do, because we're so struggle with our own power, you're not going to be able to do it in your own power. That's the not yet already part. The Holy Spirit's got to do it. He's going to do the work in you. But you've got to realize that it's about me giving the forgiveness regardless of what that other person or those other group of people or how whatever it is are doing. We're not focused on that. God has given me a great gift and I'm going to give that forgiveness. If I choose not to forgive, but I choose to harbor bitterness and I choose to harbor those things, all I'm going to do is harm myself. I'm going to harm myself spiritually. I'm going to be stunted in my spiritual growth because of the bitterness that I harbor in my heart. But on top of that, that bitterness that you harbor in your heart will also cause physical manifestations within your body. And you will feel it and the effects of it in your heart and in your mind and in the physicality of your body. So let's focus our attention on the fact that Jesus has liberated us from an unrepayable debt. And so we should liberate others from the debt that they owe us. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful that you sent your son to die on the cross. We're so thankful that you chose to forgive us when we were unforgivable, 
when we had nothing to offer, when we had a debt that we could not repay, you stepped in and you said, I will pay that debt. So, Father, we pray that you would change our hearts and our minds, that you would help us to become more like you, that we could be a fraction of a, of a person that forgives of what you have given us. Lord, help us to walk in your light. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.